All right, good morning. You may be seated. My name's Brian, and welcome to Bedrock. It's uh, amazing to be with you this morning. Uh, stepped out for a second to get a, a drink of water, and um, just so stirred at the sound of voices in unison, um, singing loudly uh, to, to God in and, and worship, and it's such a blessing to, to get a, to sing our faith together. Um, but I'm excited to be in the Word of God with, with you this morning, humbled to, to be able to, to teach through it. Um, and it's something that as a church, we just long to be shaped by God's Word, long to, to know the God of this Bible and what He has to teach us through the Spirit. And if you, ha- uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to know there's Bibles uh, at, under the chairs at the end of each aisle they're blue Bibles. You can take those home. Um, they're, they're yours. We'd love for you to have one and, and just follow with us through God's Word. We're in the book of Mark. It's one of the four Gospels, and a Gospel in the Bible is the story of Jesus and His life. And so we have been walking through this series entitled, A Journey of Discipleship with Jesus. And I think if you uh, are anyone familiar with the story of Jesus, um, you're probably familiar with the climax of the story, with his, his death, with his burial, with his resurrection. But what we've loved about walking through the whole book of Mark is the journey to that, the scenes of every moment of the life of Jesus and how those shape us to see a full picture of who God is, of his character, of his love for us of what he's all about, of his message. So that's been our heart, is to see Jesus so clearly. And we are nearing the climax of Jesus' life, of what he came to do. And now more than ever, I just want to remind us, I know in the next couple of weeks we're stepping back into the death of Jesus and and every scene in that, but let's just lean in closely. Let's lean in closely to today's story and continue to ask, who is Jesus? You see, last week, Drew was able to walk us through this scene of the Passover meal where Jesus sits down with his disciples in an upper room. They share a meal, and he tells them that he's doing something new, that the blood representing the wine and the bread at the table represented his body being broken, the, the wine represented his blood being shed, and that he was bringing a new covenant where all people could find forgiveness and life in him through what he came to do. And at the same table, he's sitting with his, the closest to him, but his betrayer is at hand. Judas is sitting there amongst them, and it reveals that he is going to betray Jesus. And so this, today's scene in Mark 14, if you'll turn with me there, we're going to be in 26 through 52. We have this in-between moment, the moment between the Passover meal and, and Jesus and in his arrest. I have to say, this is... This has been just delighting my soul to read this passage. I think it's so beautiful. It's a real moment. Like, it's, it's a real moment. It's kind of like a documentary or a reality show on TV where they don't stop the camera when it gets tense. They don't stop the camera when it gets a little awkward or it, it gets real. We're thankful that Mark keeps rolling the tape so that we can see this vulnerable, painful emotional and trying moment for Jesus. Uh, I thought that I want to set the scene by 
we're referencing a quote by J.R. Tolkien. We're probably all familiar with uh, his writing. I think he's one of the most brilliant writers ever, um, and, and many of us have enjoyed his Lord of the Rings stories. And one of his central characters, Bilbo Baggins in the, the Hobbit, he set out on this journey that he has to take alone. He's sent into a cave where he's going to, on the other side of it, meet a dragon named Smog who breathes fire, who's guarding this treasure, and he is quite an enemy. I love this quote because it, it really depicts the battle before the battle. The battle that he faces in the tunnel, the consideration, the confrontation, the wrestling just to step forward, to step into it. That he must confront his own fear before confronting the enemy itself. Let's read it. It says, it was at this point that Bilbo stopped. Going on from there was the bravest thing he ever did. The tremendous thing that happened afterwards was nothing compared to it. He fought the real battle in the tunnel alone before he saw the vast danger that lay in wait. You see, today, in a much greater sense and against a, a much greater enemy, we have a glimpse into the intense battle of Jesus against sin, the sin of the world. Jesus was the only one that could accomplish the task that he came to accomplish. And no, he wasn't a sneaky criminal. He was, he was innocent. He was righteous. He was perfect. He was God's son. God's son sent into the world out of love and humility. And the battle that Jesus stepped into would be lonely, be agonizing, and be full of darkness. So here... In this garden, as we set the scene, can we see that Jesus is facing this reality head on for our sake? Let me pray. God, we, we thank you for all of Scripture. We thank you that, um, unlike Lord of the Rings, this isn't a, just a fairy tale story. This is rooted in history and our humanity that Jesus has been sent by God to make a way for us. And God, I pray today that, that we would see even more, more closely your heart. That we would um, sit in the garden with Jesus and, and consider everything that uh, has been made for us. In your name, amen. All right, we're going to read a large portion of Scripture. Uh, if you're anything like me, sometimes I can, like, my mind can kind of tune out in that. I just encourage, let's lean in as we read Scripture, as we read this story, um, because it, it's, it's going to be the story we're going to frame today around. So it says in Mark 14, 26, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. 
And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with the swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching. And you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. So we have this, this scene and this garden moment, the first thing, we're just going to kind of walk through it, see some things that I think the Lord has at the heart of this passage. The first thing I would say, point number one, is let's observe the loneliness of Jesus. The loneliness of Jesus. We go from sharing a meal with his closest disciples in the upper room, a moment that Jesus said, I'm, I've been longing for this with you. Walking and singing a hymn together, hearing their voices to the Mount of Olives, and now Jesus shares a very difficult truth with them. These are the disciples. They've journeyed with him. It feels like it's hard to even remember in our study in this book a time where he wasn't with the disciples. They didn't fully understand everything that Jesus was doing, but they were growing in their belief. And now over everything they'd been through together, it was now that Jesus had something that only he could do alone. And so he says, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. See, our, our Jesus loves God's word. It's, it's as if it was just always at the tip of his tongue. And he referenced this passage from Zechariah 13, 7. He knew it in his heart. He was reciting the prophetic words of Zechariah saying, Awake. O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones 
See, Jesus fully, fully understood what he was stepping into. He understood that this was the moment that even those closest to him would desert him. And disciples, as we read, immediately rejected the idea. Peter emphatically proclaims that even, I love, he kind of like sells the other disciples out. He says, like, even though they will fail you, I won't. He's like so convinced that this could never happen. I think with this first point, I just wanted to sit in what Jesus is going through for our sake, that that rejection is, is so much throughout this passage, that, that Jesus knows he's not only going to face rejection by those that we expect it from, that is like the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders who from the beginning of the book have said that they set out to destroy him, but those that are closest to him, those that you would think at the moment he needed them most, they were nowhere to be found, scattered, afraid, cowardly, gone. And as we all know, loneliness and rejection, that, that cuts deep. And we think we all fear facing the most challenging or successful moments in life alone. I think we all know what it's like to have someone so close to us betray us or, or hurt us in a way that no one else could. It's this feeling of, can I really trust anyone? Gethsemane, I think, appropriately means olive press. So this garden that they're in, it's a place where this valuable oil could only come out out, out of intense pressure of, of the olives. And, and we see Jesus facing not only this physical pain that he's about to face on the cross, but in this scene, we see that he's facing a mental pain, spiritual pain, an emotional pain. You see, we haven't quite seen Jesus like this, right? Throughout the book, we've seen him compassionate. Uh, we've seen him at moments driven with, with righteous anger. We've seen him with such authority. But here we see him with sorrow. With distress, he's troubled. He says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Jesus is in agony, which... Agony, that word, I had to look it up. Sometimes we say words and I'm like, I don't fully know. That. It, was ex- it means extreme pain, physical and mental, mental suffering. It's a wrestling that Jesus is going through. In Luke 22, it says that Jesus continues praying. In the intensity of this moment, he actually sweats drops of blood. He's essentially saying, you see this, this sorrow that I am feeling right now is so intense that it it literally feels like it could kill me. Have you been there? I know many of us have. We've felt that sorrow that is is just so overwhelming that it feels like it's going to swallow us into darkness. It can be suffocating. It can be defeating, crippling, often unexpected, Without explanation, sometimes we feel so alone in our experience and that no one else knows what it's like. My heart for you, the heart of Mark and God for you today is to see that, please see that our Savior has been there too. That he isn't this 
distant God that is so out of touch with our reality, with our experience, with what we go through as, as humanity. But Jesus went through it and he empathizes with us. That God with us isn't just Jesus as a baby in a manger. God with us is, is Jesus walking in humanity and temptation in sorrow, in pain, all so that he could rescue us. He poured himself out in humility in order that we can find life. So I think it's important for us with a scene like this to acknowledge that, that Jesus in his humanity faced those limitations and those emotions and this temptation. It's all on display so that we can understand that he faced it for us that he relates to us deeper than we could ever know, deeper than we believe sometimes in the moment of suffering. This is where we begin to really understand when Scripture describes Jesus as the man of sorrows, when Scripture describes him as the suffering servant, the sacrificed lamb. I think this scene helps us begin to grasp that even more, that he left the throne of God emptied himself, and now he's wrestling with not only isolation and rejection from the disciples by his fellow mankind, but far more than that, he's wrestling with what it's going to mean for him to become sin for us. He's wrestling with what it's going to mean for him to take our place, and that because of that, he's going to be separated from God, his Father. That the 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 worst experience they could ever have is that he would experience extreme and absolute loneliness away from God the Father, whom he just lived his life following and communicating with and, and knowing. So listen to how Isaiah describes, I think, what, what we, we, we need to just appreciate about Jesus and his suffering for us. It says in Isaiah 53, 2-6, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him, strict, esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, all we like sheep have gone astray, just like the disciples in this moment. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then in verse 10, it says, Yet it was the will the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So why is this first point, the loneliness of Jesus, important for us to see? Because the same Jesus who suffers in this moment ministers to us today. That Jesus enters this loneliness so that we would never walk alone. Hebrews 4.15 says it well. It says, it describes Jesus as this high priest who, who uh, is on our behalf. It says, for we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So may this be a reminder to you this, to this morning, brothers and sisters, that in our darkest moments, in the troubling moments, in the challenging moments, in the confusing moments, the lonely moments, because he has gone there, we can go to him. In our time of trouble, we can lean on his strength when we have nothing. He empathizes deeply with our pain, and he will one day set us free from all sin, all sickness, all pain. And until then, he walks with us. See, the rejection of Jesus leads to our acceptance. He endured the loneliness and the despair and agony on our sake. Let's move on to point number two. Um, I want to think about, uh, throughout this passage, the, the obedience of Jesus. The obedience of Jesus. In Mark 14, 35 through 36, it says, In going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus pulls Peter and James and John a little bit closer, a little bit further into the garden. And he asks them to, to watch, to remain and watch. And, and while I, I believe what he's saying is to watch for the betrayer, for those that are coming to arrest, I think as we read this full passage, what we really see, I think he's calling them to watch him. I think what he's, he's saying is, like, I'm demonstrating for you some things in this moment. And so we're going to see what that, that looks like. Um, a parallel passage actually says that he was a stone's throw away. I love that. A stone's throw away. So Jesus gets a stone's throw away from Peter, James, and John, who are tasked to be watching. And it's almost as if just, like, all of, of the emotion just let out. Like, he gets in this moment of of isolation, of seclusion, and before God the Father, he fell to the ground. Have you, ever, have you been in a moment like that where something strikes you so significantly, the sorrow is, is so deep that the only response you have is to fall to the ground? Like I, those little details just speak to us so much about what he was experiencing. So he fell to the ground and I want to highlight, like, what did he do in this moment of crisis? What did he do? We see he prayed. Jesus prayed. Jesus, he prayed. Don't glaze past that. <laughs> like, this is significant. His response in one of his darkest, most challenging moments is to come before God in prayer. When he was brought to his knees, he went to prayer. He didn't distract himself with some form of entertainment. He didn't run. He didn't have to talk, go talk to other people. He prayed. Uh, this immediately made me consider, man, where do I go in my moments of crisis or when I'm not in a moment of crisis? I, th I think oftentimes 
I immediately go to my phone and start calling people. Those closest to me, my dad, my, my closest friends, I'm immediately consulting with them over whatever I'm feeling, especially, you know, when I'm most devastated. And while I'm thankful for everyone in my life that's there for me, they've got my back, I've been reminded that the first place I'm ever invited to go with anything is before God the Father. Like, like at any moment, he welcomes me to bring everything before him because he holds all the power in his hands. He isn't surprised by my fear. He's not surprised by our failure. He's not surprised by our frustration, our emotions, our sin. He knows it all. He's not surprised when we're angry. He's not surprised when we're confused or when we don't even know what to pray. Like we, we literally, we don't even have the words. Go before the Father. You see, Jesus, he lived the lifeline of prayer constantly. He, he did it in this moment because he, he did it as he walked throughout his life. He was constantly communicating with God the Father. So in the moment of, of crisis, it was automatically where he would go. The safest place for Jesus was in the presence of the Father, and he indicates that through his language. Notice the words he said, Abba. Abba, Father. The one I trust the one who knows what is best, the one I am most familiar with, the one with, with, in which I have the most affection, the one I can be real before. I don't have to hold back. You already know my thoughts and my fears and my situation. So what's the struggle that Jesus is feeling? As he goes before the Father, as he brings it before him, the struggle in this moment, the intensity before God, why is he trembling well, there's, there's two significant words in his, in his prayer. He's wrestling with the reality of the hour and the cup. He's wrestling with what he's about to face. Those words, hour and cup, represent the wrath of God. They represent what God is about to, to bring upon him because Jesus is about to take on all of our sin. I shared this a couple weeks ago that, that Jesus is taking on like the sin of all humanity. It's weighty. He's taking on our deserved punishment for everything that you yourself can think that you have done against God, but that times everyone that's ever existed. So this cup of wrath that he's about to drink is so much more than the physical death that he's going to experience. He's taking on separation from God for our sake. So he's wrestling with the weight of this hour that has come, and this cup that he's going to drink, the penalty of becoming sin for us, the alienation, and he's asking, is there another way? God, you can do anything. Is there another way? It's kind of like I thought of the story of Abraham when God said to bring his son Isaac before him on the altar and offer his life. And just as the dagger is about to be thrust into his son, God says, stop. And he provides, a, he looks over and he provides a ram who's caught in a thicket. He provides a substitution, someone to take Isaac's place to, to bring before the altar. And the answer that we see in this story is that God says, no, there's not another way. 
We see that Christ, he was the provided lamb. That he was the one that would make the final payment. That he is the way and obedience would require a great cost. And this was the frightful reality of God's will on what it would mean for him to fully submit. Let me read this quote by Tim Keller. I think that describes potentially uh, what Jesus was thinking and feeling. It says, in the garden of Gethsemane, he turns to the Father, and all he can see before him is wrath. The abyss, the chasm, the nothingness of the cup. Jesus began to experience the spiritual, cosmic, infinite disintegration that would happen when he became separated from his father on the cross. He began to experience merely a foretaste of that, and he staggered. I love that we get to see as he, as he wrestles with that. That's the struggle. That's, that's what he's bringing before God. As he wrestles with that, he's repeated in his prayer. Did you notice that? He's, he prays three times. There's a persistency that we can bring before God in prayer that it is okay. It's welcome. We can repeatedly bring things before God. Have you been here before? <laughs> like, God, what would you have me do? I see what you're leading me into, but, but that seems like so much more difficult. Is there something else you would have for me? Do I really have to give that up? Can you give me clarity that this is where you're leading? I'm pleading you. You know what's best. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed the same prayers before God over over again, just waiting for him to continue to guide me into obedience. So I think we can learn like two specific things from God, uh, from the way Jesus prays before the Father that we can take into our lone life. Notice that as he prays, he says, all things are possible before you. It's perspective. What he recognizes about God the Father is that he can do anything. If we think back through uh, Jesus' teachings in the book of Mark, he says many times, it's like, God can move a mountain for you. What, what that's saying is God can do the impossible. So he acknowledges through his prayers, he demonstrates for the disciples a prayer that, that says, God, you can do anything. I just want to acknowledge that before anything. He approaches God with this belief, with this understanding of who he's coming before. He says, would you take this cup from me? I know you can, you can do anything. So there's nothing wrong with wrestling with God, with bringing him your heart and your desires. Let's notice that second part of his prayer. What What he acknowledges is not what I will, but what you will. You know, that that's if he had perspective in that first part of the prayer, what this is is surrender. That's a hard prayer to pray. He didn't have the faith in the Father's ability to do anything, but he would also be content with his answer. He surrendered to the Father's wisdom of what was best. John, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, but he says, the quickest way to discontentment is holding God hostage to an outcome that he's never promised. So there's this, God, can you do this? I'm bringing this before you. This is where my heart's at. I'm struggling with this. But it's this 
openness, this open-handedness to say, but whatever you will with this, whatever you want with the outcome, I trust you. We're not saying with closed hands it has to be this way. So he's wrestling with the weight of the, the cup of wrath. And he's persistent before God. And lastly, with, with this point, I just want to observe he steps into obedience. Mark 14, 41 to 42, it says, It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. It like, seems like as soon as Jesus gets this sense of this silent no in which God answers his prayers as he notices that the armies are marching to him. It's almost as he runs to it. He, he doesn't wait for them to come and find him on his knees and the armies surround him in that moment of prayer. It says he gets up. He gets up and, and he goes to that situation. And I just thought it was such a beautiful picture of, of Jesus stepping into the obedience. Jesus, uh, as we talked about, uh, Bilbo stepping into deeper into the cave. He's stepping into what God had for him. And what's interesting is this garden scene actually seems, out of all the scenes throughout the story, to be the one that he faced the most agony. It seems to be the one where he wrestled the most, where he was at most sorrowful. As we move forward, and we're going to do that over the next couple of weeks, so please join us. As we move forward in the story, it's almost like he's resolved. Like he is willingly Stepping to his death. He's gonna, Drew's going to talk about the council, and he's going to be questioned, and he's going to be mocked. He carries this strength about him. I really believe it's because he's wrestled already with what God had for him in the garden. Hebrews 5.7 is, maybe this is a passage that you read this week and just reflect on. <laughs> it says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I love that it says Jesus learned obedience through suffering. So don't doubt for a moment this morning that in the most trying and tempting moments, the moments that we wrestle the most with God over our will versus his, that he is growing you. That he's preparing you. That he is so much greater for you than you could ever imagine. We often see the hand of God as we reflect back on our story, as we reflect back on our life. And so in the moment, it can feel very overwhelming. We just surrender ourselves to his will. And so in the second point, the obedience of Jesus, we see that if it were not for Jesus' faithfulness on his knees in Gethsemane, that he would not have been faithful unto death at Calvary. That, that Jesus drank the cup of wrath so that we could drink the cup of salvation. Before Jesus surrendered his body to the cross, he surrendered his will to his heavenly Father in the garden. And because Jesus was obedient to the Father, we too can have access to God the Father. Point number three, we'll end with this, is the weakness of the disciples. I'll try to hurry here. Um, 
But I, I did want to just highlight the experience for the disciples. We kind of highlighted Jesus and what he demonstrates. Um, but can we, can we acknowledge that the disciples are pretty, pretty pathetic? <laughs> Through this whole path, like they, they really kind of represent failure. Jesus has been preparing, for, preparing them and himself for this moment uh, throughout the book of Mark. He's told them many times, like he's told them, like, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. Like, this is going to happen. And they fall asleep, like, over and over again. He, he's most vulnerable with them in this moment. Like, please, can you watch and pray with me? And they fall asleep over and over again. They're like, like, it's like waking somebody up out of them. They just don't even have words. They're just kind of like mouth open, hanging at you. Like, they are struggling at this most crucial moment. It's almost comical. He's pouring out his heart in prayer, and they seem asleep. This isn't the first time throughout the book of Mark he said, stay awake. Be alert. This whole scene in the garden ends with Judas bringing a crowd with him to arrest Jesus. I wish we had more time to dive into that, but, but read through that and, and just the, the significance of that. Um, but he was unfairly treated. He was betrayed. The words that stand out to, to us here, it says at the very end, and they all left him and fled. The Garden of Gethsemane, this story, is flanked on both sides by rejection. You've got this Passover meal, Judas betrays Jesus. You've got the disciples saying, oh, we would, never, we would never deny you. And then on the other side of that, on the other side of his prayers in the garden, the arrest and the fleeing of the disciples. And then you've got 52. It says, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. And he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And you read that, it's so bizarre. It's like, it, is this just a, like an afterthought? Some would say that Mark even um, like left his name out, but they, you know, some would say it's, it's Mark, he just wasn't willing to say it. And while it's comical, like it's a comical scene, it sadly re- represents their hearts in this moment. That someone would be so fearful and, and full of denial that they were exposed and naked for their disbelief. I believe that in the heart and mind, they wanted to be faithful and love Jesus, but their flesh was weak. Uh, I'll try not to be long here, but I thought of myself and Anna, my wife, um, late at night after we put the kids to bed, and I say, Anna, I know you've had a long day. You go upstairs, you get your shower, you go to bed. I've got this cleaning up thing. You know, I'll, I'll do the dishes. Like the whole room is like, things are everywhere. But I'm saying it from a position of my favorite spot on the couch. I've already got the pillow behind my head and the blanket pulled up over me. And the TV's playing the, the game and my eyes are already like heavy. And she's, I, she could probably just look at me and say, Brian, this, your spirit is willing, I know, but your flesh is weak. She, you know, she, she, oh, Siri, (laughs) you know, but she looks at me and she, she's not questioning my heart to like bless her, but she's experienced too many times that she's, (laughs) she's going to come downstairs and see me just fully asleep with 
the food on the dishes still and the toys everywhere, she's not confident necessarily in what I've said. And I kind of feel like that's this moment where it's just their hearts, their hearts are to follow and be there for Jesus. But Jesus is reminding them of the weakness. I think we need to remember this morning that we all think we're stronger than we really are. You look to your neighbor right now and say, you're not as strong as you think you are. You're not as strong as you think you are. The disciples will eventually feel their limits and face their fears, but they make claims that they can't back up. They're overconfident, they're self-reliant, confused and prideful, and they still have a lot to learn. See, our limits are often greater than what we think they are, especially when it comes to our walk and our discipleship with Jesus. For the disciples, the weakness of the flesh, it it overpowered them. Their spiritual desire to pray and to watch got overpowered by, by their tiredness by their lack of alertness. I think we live in a world that demands our attention, our desires, our fears. Our flesh can just pull at us. Temptation is always lurking. I think we all struggle with it. Have you struggled with this? You want to follow Jesus, but his plans are pretty challenging to to take. I don't think I can do that. I want to regularly meditate on God's word, but my phone is far too distracting, or I wake up at that hour and I'm just too tired. It's not worth the change to my lifestyle. I want to finally make myself accountable to this sin, but it seems like too much work and embarrassment, or the temptation is too strong. I can't tell you how many times myself has felt these things. I believe Jesus isn't warning them about their soon-to-be denial to convince them to be stronger. He's letting them know that in their weakness, he's still going to be faithful. In verse 28, it says, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So he says, you're going to fail me. But then he also references a moment on the other side of it all, that he's going to return to them. He's going to continue to grow them, and they're going to have a way greater understanding after the cross and after the resurrection to know how to live in the midst of weakness, how to live into his strength. See how faithful is Jesus. He doesn't reject them for their failure, but ministers to them and displays grace. He knows that the power of the cross is going to do such a transformation in their life. It's almost like he's saying, I know about all of your failures And that is why I'm going to the cross. That's why I'm wrestling with the weight of your sin. The sin of all humanity. Here on my knees in the garden. For now, he needs to teach them to be dependent on the one who is stronger than we could ever realize. How does he do that? He demonstrates it. Like I said, I think he wanted them to watch him. He demonstrates, like, like Jesus pours out in honesty that he's, he's facing deep sorrow. This fearless leader that, like, he falls asleep in a boat and wakes up and calms a raging sea. He's all authority. Like, they've seen him as their fearless leader the entire time, and now he seems so vulnerable, so troubled, so sorrowful, and I think he's admitting his 
his weakness and limitations so that they can also acknowledge that they need to go and we need to go before the Father because he's where we found our real strength. You see, in discipleship to Jesus, our limitations humble us into a place of trust, dependence. So he says, watch and pray. Like our posture, I pray as a church, our posture as a people, that we would be people that watch and pray regularly together. That when temptation hits, we pray. That when God delights us with the beauty of his creation, we pray. We thank him for that. That we're in constant communication in a real manner, that we're admitting our weaknesses, that we're facing temptation with him and not in our own strength, that we don't brush things off and continue on our own willpower, but that we come to God knowing that he is the place that we find our true strength. And don't wait till the storm hits or the moment of crisis to come before him. It may be too late at that point. We need to learn to watch and pray in all seasons. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. As we close, maybe you're in a place of denial like the disciples. When's the last time you are willing to confess that sin that continues to divide you in your walk with Jesus? Maybe you're walking in too much confidence in yourself, not enough dependence on God. I encourage you to be real with Him. He's a place where you can be honest, the most honest. He already knows our heart. There's nothing to hide before God the Father. Let Him know your places of, of doubt. Let Him know your places of frustration. Let Him know what you fear the most. What you feel like you're harboring in anger even against Him. His plans are, are better. We can let it all out before Him. So he's closed this point. Because Jesus faced the loneliness, and the obedience unto death, we find strength in him. He's the Savior that we need every day of our life. He sets us free from the power of sin and enables us to walk in victory. And so in our weakness, he is our strength. I'm going to ask Aaron to come on up uh, as we enter into a time of reflection and prayer um, and sing a last song. We talked about the loneliness of Jesus, what, he's, what he felt on our behalf. How are we reminded? Maybe you felt alone lately. Um, like no one can empathize or understand your situation. I hope you see so clearly today that Jesus has stepped into that. He understands his love for you is, is deep. The obedience of Jesus that we would reflect on Jesus fully stepping into the cross, fully stepping into taking on our sin on our behalf, and that we would in the same way ask God, what would you have? And whatever the situations are that you're, you're facing. And today I pray that we would grow more aware of our weakness, 
but not stop there. Find a light in his strength for us. Because that's where he does incredible things. And so today, this morning, as we enter in this time of prayer, you can sit or you can stand. Um, you're welcome. We are welcome to use this, this place up here. Maybe you need to have a moment with God and step into that. Uh, you're welcome to come pray. Uh, and then we're going to end with a song, uh, I Give You My Heart. We were just talking how that's such a beautiful song of, of confession, of, of God, I'm, I'm, I'm just coming before you, surrendering. And so I pray we think through the lyrics of that as well. Um, let's pray. God, thank you for your relentless love for us. God, I just sense such a joy in understanding more clearly how much you have gone to make a way for us. I thank you that um, because you face that loneliness, that Jesus faced that loneliness, that we get to walk through life with, with your presence and your power, with your love. So, Father, would you um, guide this, this time, our response, God, whatever you're doing through the Spirit in our hearts. Amen. Amen.